Isn't that incredible? 15,318 meals. That's wild, and that's a lot of that's a lot of food. What's amazing about it is that for every one of those meals, that's a huge number. It's hard to put any context to exactly how much turkey or potatoes and food that actually is. But for every one of those numbers represents a name, right? There was a person behind a table. And how many of you know, man, it's hard to hear the good news when you got an empty belly, right? So we got to serve, love people, be the hands and feet of Jesus. So thankful for those of you who gave, who served, who brought food. Can we just praise God one more time? So thankful to be a part of a church that gives and serves and loves so well. Really is incredible. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I wasn't scheduled to be up this weekend, but because Carolina won yesterday, uh, felt like I have a lot of encouragement for those of you who might be hurting here today. Nearly a decade worth of experience. <laughs> but I had to celebrate at this brief moment because it may not happen next year. How many of you agree? Oh, it's going to happen. We got a testimony over here. It will happen again, thus saith the Lord. Anyway, we are excited that you are here. And now that we're past Thanksgiving, I want to turn to Christmas. We've got a resource for you as we head into the holidays. If you're questioning how you're going to prepare your heart or your home or what do you do with your family, we've come up with an Advent devotional. If you go to seacoast.org forward slash Advent, we've done this in years past, but you can go there, enter in your email address, and it'll be in your inbox every morning when you wake up. If you want to walk through it by yourself or pull the family together before they head out for the day, but a great way amidst all the hustle to put God first, go after him and just prepare your hearts for the season. Well, hey, today we are in for a special treat. We have a son of the house. The last couple of years, the weekend after Thanksgiving, Pastor Ernest Smith from Front Range Church has come back home. He was on staff here at Seacoast for 15 years, served with me and of any guy to be here to speak this weekend. You know, we've been in a series called The Word at Work, looking at the work God calls us to is holy. It's not random. He's positioned us there. And man, he is a guy that whatever God's called him to, he's done it with all of his heart. I remember when he went to plant the church, Pastor Jeff Surratt said, I know he's going to be successful because he's modeled a long obedience in the same direction. Just a hardworking guy that has God first in his life. And so here in Mount Pleasant, all of our campuses, would you stand to your feet? Let's welcome him back. Son of the house, let him know you're excited he's here. Oh, thank you guys. And what an honor to be here. Uh, as Pastor Josh just said, my name is Ernest Smith and uh, lead pastor at a church in Castle Rock, Colorado. And uh, but I, I love coming back here because uh, this feels like home in a lot of ways. And I know we got a lot of people watching online. I want to just say uh, welcome to you. There's thousands of you that join every single weekend from all over the world. Uh, I want to welcome all of our campuses. Maybe you're local like Somerville or West Ashley, I want to welcome you guys. Or maybe you're in Columbia or Irmo, and you're celebrating today uh, after a big victory. Or you're in Greenville in your morning today, uh, needing a little bit of hope. Uh, and I know some of you are like, man, why don't we talk about college football? Like, why do these people always talk about their wins and their losses? And I don't know why people talk about their losses. Um, I just, I don't know. I haven't experienced that in quite a while. So uh, <laughs> we're grateful to have you and. Uh, every time I come back, I feel like I, I'm walking down uh, memory lane in some, in some ways. I remember uh, Pastor Greg uh, led me to the Lord and helped me to, to find Jesus in the midst of some trying times in my life. I, I remember uh, Pastor Josh and I, we would uh, see each other out at different activities that were not church-related uh, before we both came to Christ. 
Uh, I remember being on the retreat where him and Lisa uh, met and, and got acquainted. I remember seeing sparks fly, like they're getting married. You know, uh, uh, I remember uh, Brandon Lake. Uh, I was a youth pastor at the time. And Brandon uh, was a chubby eighth grader. Uh, and he was like, I just want to play basketball. And then I saw him play basketball. I'm like, we need you to do something else. So it's working out for him, I think. Um, Jerry's still out on that one. But uh, I, I was just so grateful to be here. I love this church. I love the way that you guys serve your community and, and love people well and serve people well. And uh, today, I'm especially excited to be diving into this topic, the series Word at Work. Uh, and Colossians 3 is uh, what we've been looking at. And it talks about how whatever you do, do everything for the Lord. Do it with everything you've got. Do it for God. And I wonder how many times we do everything and we just don't get what we need. Like, have you ever been in a place where, like, I've given everything? Like, I'm trying, I'm really trying everything that I've got, and I'm still not getting what I need. What happens when you're in that place? Well, I got some good news today. Uh, how many of you, you're in need of some good news? Anybody need good news? Every hand in the Greenville campus should be raised right now. Uh, we, we all need good news. I, I, have you ever just woken up and thought, man, I just need some good news today? You know, you can't find it on a lot of news stations. There's a few out there that, that do really well. I want to give you two news uh, articles. Maybe you've seen these. One is from a few months ago. It was a, a Little League game. Uh, and the pitcher, after he pitched it, he hit the, the batter in the head. Uh, which is, uh, you know, not, not, not normally good. And uh, the little kid, he got up after being hit. He ran over to first, and he looks over, and the pitcher is crying because that's not what he got into baseball for. He wasn't trying to hurt somebody. And so this boy walks over from first base to the pitcher's mound to just hug the pitcher. And I thought, yeah, there's some good people. There's still good people in this world. Uh, the next one uh, is one that you probably saw as well, and uh, it's why we eat at this place. Uh, there was a lady in the Chick-fil-A line and her car got jacked. She's in the car, and the, this guy tries to jack her car, and so the Chick-fil-A employee, he comes over, and he gets him on the ground. He tackles him, and he stands up, and he says, my pleasure. <laughs> That's why we love that place. <laughs> and today, I'm going to give you some good news. Turn to somebody and say, I need some good news today. We're going to talk about good news, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's one of my absolute favorites. Uh, comes out of Psalm 46. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, no worries. It's going to be up on the screen. Uh, this is one of my favorite passages to preach on, one of my favorite passages to study. There's so much power and depth to it. Uh, Martin Luther, who's a 16th century theologian, he said this. He said that anytime my church or anytime we're going through trials, I would tell my church, let's sing this psalm and let the devil do his worst. In fact, he used this psalm to write the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is our God. And uh, to, before we dive in, I got to give you some context because you can't understand the power of this psalm without understanding what's going on. So the time period the psalm was written in is around 701 BC. Uh, Sennacherib is the king of Neo-Assyrian Empire. The Neo-Assyrian Empire is a, is a superpower. I mean, it's the dominant force on the planet at that time. They were the nation. And anywhere they went, they conquered people. They had an easy time doing that. They had the most brutal band of warriors. These guys, they were the most skilled. They had the most sophisticated weapons. Uh, not only that, they used psychological warfare. I mean, these guys were bad. If you've ever seen the movie 300, this is like 500 times that. If you've ever seen the movie Taken, this was 185,000 people with a very particular set of skills. Like, they knew what they were doing. 
And so at this point, 701 BC, they, they besieged Jerusalem, which is the capital of Judah. So God's people. So the Assyrians are out there and they're like, hey, we're going to destroy you. No one stops us. We've destroyed everybody. In fact, what they would do for the psychological warfare is they would send these tablets into the towns, into the cities that they had besieged. So I got a picture of one of the tablets that, that they created, and this is a guy being flayed. Now, if you've never heard of that term, what they do is they stretch you out, and then they skin you alive. So they're sending this message. This is what we're going to do to you. These guys were brutal. They would, they would stick poles up people and, and hang them there. They would cut off ears and, and noses and, and put them on a necklace and wear them to show their brutality. And if you think that's graphic, I won't tell you what they did to the women and to the children. These guys were bad. They were the best on the planet at being bad. And now they've surrounded Jerusalem. And this is the context that we read these words, that these words were written. Psalm 46, verse 1, it says this, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Now, God's saying to us today that the same God back then that we're about to talk about is the same God for us today. And in verse 1, he says, I'm an ever-present help in trouble. What does that mean? What does it mean to be an ever-present help in trouble? Well, there's two words that make up that term, ever-present help. Uh, two Hebrew words. The first one is meod. And meod means exceedingly, much, a lot. One theologian said it means much muchness. Like it's a whole lot. Like it, the exceedingly is like so much. It's much muchness, but of what? That's the second Hebrew word, matzal. Matzal means to, to find something, to discover something, to experience something. It's like you, you, you experience something that, that other people can tell you about, but until you actually go through it, you don't understand. Like you don't understand the feelings. You don't understand what it's like. You have to experience whatever that is. Like for us in, in Colorado, we have these things called 14ers. It's a mountain over 14,000 feet. And so we, we climb those um, a lot. And if you've ever climbed one, some of you guys have climbed them before, you know, like the feeling when you get to the top, you're like, whoa, like you can't describe that to someone. You can't tell people like, hey, this is how it feels. They're like, oh, I get it. No, you don't get it until you experience it. It's like having a child. If you've had a kid before, then, then when the birth of that child, you're like, whoa, like this, like you can't read enough books. You can't listen to enough podcasts. Like people can't tell you the experience for you to be like, now I get it. You have to experience it. It's like, it's like queso for Moe's. You know, you're like, you've got to experience it in order to understand how powerful it is. And, and God is here saying, hey, you can't read a Google review on me. You can't, you can't uh, uh, listen to somebody else's testimony and get it. You have to experience me and the much muchness of who our God is. That's what I've been praying for you this week. I've been praying that the Lord would meet you where you are. And for some of you, you've experienced that much muchness of God. For others of you, you don't even know what that means. And you're wondering, what does this look like? What does it mean to experience this powerful, this exceedingly, this a lot, this much muchness of God? And my prayer is that God would meet you where you are in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the unknowns, the potential loss, the realized loss, the hopelessness, in the midst of the army outside your doors, that the much muchness of our God would meet you in this moment.
I mean, think about the Jewish people. The Assyrians are at their, at their doorstep. The news that was being reported was bad. There was no good news. But there is good news. The good news is that our God is a refuge and strength, that our God is an ever-present help in trouble, that our God overflows with abundant help in time of need, that he is much, muchness. No matter what you need, what do you need today? For some of us, we, we need rest. You've been waking up in the middle of the night, or maybe you can't go to sleep, and you're just, you're worried about something in your life. It's consumed you. Maybe it's in your family or it's your work. Maybe it's your health. You just can't seem to get a break. And you need the overflowing presence of God to bring you peace today. Maybe for some of us, it's security. We look at the world around us and we're like, man, this is crazy. It's chaotic. It's, it's nuts. We just need some security. You need the overflowing, the overwhelming, the much muchness of God to bring you peace today, to give you provision. Maybe for some of us, we're, we're hurting we're experiencing mourning or sadness. Maybe this is our first Thanksgiving without a loved one, or maybe every Thanksgiving and every holiday reminds us that we're out without somebody that we love. Or maybe you're just going through something else that has created a lot of pain in your life. And you need the much, muchness of God today. As I was praying for you this morning, I felt like the Lord said there's going to be people who walk through these doors or maybe at another campus. You're experiencing loneliness. And as a part of that, you've been thinking about taking your life. And I get it. The first time I walked into this church, that's where I was at. You thought, I don't know what else to do. And so you've just kind of given church. Maybe this is your last shot. You're like, this is the final thing that I'm going to do. And I want you to know that the God of the universe sees you. And he wants you to experience his overwhelming, his exceedingly, his great, his powerful, his much muchness presence. What do you need today? Let's continue. Verse 2, it says this, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Verse six, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. He's like, don't worry about it. Like whatever's going on in your life, don't have any fear. Why? Because all God has to do is speak. That's how great he is. All he has to do is say something. One word out of his mouth makes the earth melt. That's all our God has to do is just speak into your situation, into your, your life. Look at verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is with us. He is our fortress. He will protect us. I get it that the Assyrians are out the front door and they surrounded us and we have no way out, but my God is here. My God cares about us. He will be our refuge. I think sometimes in our relationship with God, see if you identify with this. I think sometimes in our relationship with God, we, we think that maybe our problems God shouldn't concern himself with. Like there's so many big things going on in the world around us. There's so many big things like, and why would God care about this small little corner of my life? And, and there's probably been times in our lives where, where many of us have chosen not to take something to the Lord, not trust God with it because we think that's just too small. Like God's got other big things going on. Like why is he going to worry about me? And here's a truth that, that I pray sinks deep into your soul. One that you will remember not just today, but remember every day. And that's this. Our God is big enough to 
to oversee the whole world and loving enough to care about you. Our God is big enough to oversee everything, to oversee every person on the planet, every nation on the planet. He can oversee it all, and he's loving enough to care about you, to care about your situation, your life. Maybe to say it a, a different way, God didn't create you and then save you to then abandon you. I'm going to say that again because somebody in here, somebody watching at one of the campuses needs this. God didn't create you and then save you to then abandon you. That's not our God. He's big enough to oversee the entire world and loving enough to care about your moment, your darkness, the army that surrounds your doorstep. He cares so deeply. The writer understands this. Look at verse 8 and 9. It says, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. This is our God. Like, I get it. The Assyrians are out there, but this is our God. Our God's the one who breaks the bow and the spear. Our God is the one who makes nations shatter. Our God is the one that can do anything. He is powerful enough to do anything in your life. That's our God. That's who he is. And so when you're surrounded, when there's craziness going on and you're wondering, man, what do I even do in this situation? Where do I go from here? My God's going, experience me. Experience my much, muchness. The very presence of God. And then he ends with this passage that I can't stand. Like, I love it because there's so much power and yet it's so difficult for me. Look at verse 10. It says, he says, meaning God, the God of the universe says, be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's one of the hardest passages to live out. Be still. That phrase be still in Hebrew is Rafa. And Rafa literally means to cease striving. To relax. Rest. Stop working so hard. So be still and what? Believe? No. Be still and hope? No. Be still and think? No. Be still and no. Know that you know that you know that the God of the universe, the one you've, you've experienced at some point in your life, the one that died for you to save you, know that that God will be your ever-present help in time of trouble will be your fortress, that that God can rescue you and redeem you. Be still and know. <laughs> Sounds crazy. But God, the Assyrians are right out there. Like they've come to kill our women and children. They've come to kill us. Be still and know. Yeah, I know that you're an ever-present help in time of trouble. I know that you're a refuge. I know that you're, you're a God that supplies what I need. But what I need in this moment is I need you to help give me the power of 30,000 men. That's what I need. You ever realize there are times in our lives we think we know what we need more than God knows what we need? Like, God, that's what I need. I need you to like give me the strength of 30,000 people. And God says, no, what you need to do is you need to be still. I hate being still. Anybody else not like being still? Okay, good. Last service, there's like four. I'm like, drink some coffee. 
show up. I hate being still. Like when, I, when I'm going on vacation, my wife loves to just like sit on a beach somewhere and do nothing. And I'm like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And I don't even drink coffee. I'm like, can we go climb something? Can we go do something? Like, I don't like being still. When I'm watching my team win yet another game, um, not just their rival, but another one, um, then, then I can't be still. I can't be still. I've got to do something. I've got to check emails. I've got to respond to people. I've got to do something because when I'm still, I don't contribute. When I'm still, I can't fix anything. When I'm still, my voice doesn't really matter. When I'm still, I can't be important. When I'm still, I can't give a solution. When I'm still, I'm not the main character. God's like, you are never the main character. And I need you to remember, Ernest, you are called to be still. To trust him. Notice it doesn't say be anxious and know or be worried and know. Or be freaked out and know. It says, be still. And know what? Know that I am God. Know that he is great and powerful and faithful. And he oversees everything. He's powerful enough to oversee everything. And loving enough to care about you. Be still and know. Know that this battle is the Lord's. That it's above your pay grade. It's probably above your IQ. No offense. That's usually when God shows up the best. When we have nothing else. And so if it's related to your marriage, I'm not saying you don't have a responsibility to do what needs to be done, to be humble, to give forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness, to seek counseling. You have a responsibility in all those things, but only God can change a heart. Maybe when it comes to your kids, I'm not saying you don't have a responsibility to lead well, to serve well, to, to care for them well. But what I am saying is that only God can bring one home. Only God can give the healing that needs to happen. Maybe it's in a physical situation. Maybe you need healing. And I'm not saying you don't have the responsibility to go to the doctors and to take medicine if that's the case or whatever the, whatever the thing is. But only God provides true healing. He'll use medicine. He'll use doctors. But he's the one who heals. And so what do you need? Maybe, maybe if you're kind of like me, maybe instead of worrying about all the things you need to do, he's calling you today just to be still. Maybe instead of worrying about all the things you need to churn, all the, all the ways to get to your accomplished goal, to get what you need, maybe God's saying just be still. That's what he's been saying to me. We, our church, um, we're in the middle of a, capital campaign called for the church for the city where we're trying to raise four million dollars and for some churches that's not a lot of money and for other churches that's a whole lot of money and for our church it's a lot of money if we raise that we'll be able to start the building process to get into our first building and and all of that stuff and I can tell you so many stories of why we need that but it'll allow us to to better serve our community to have our own home and all of that and so a couple of Sundays we had our our commitment Sunday which was awesome it was great people responded and all of that but but well, I haven't told them where we're at in the goal. I won't tell them until next Sunday. That's kind of a pastor's trick to get people to come back to church at some point. So I'm like, come back, I'll tell you. And they're like, ooh. What they don't know, no one does that, by the way. Uh, whatever. What they don't know is there's a gap. I mean, of course, unless they're watching right now. There's a gap between what our goal is and where we currently are. 
And so my personality, I'm, I'm a three on the Enneagram, if that means anything, a D on the disc personality, I'm an A-type personality. I'm like, let's go. Who do I need to call? Who do I need to talk to? What lunches do I need to have? And I hate having that conversation, but I'll have it. It's for the future of our church. For the last couple of weeks, God's like, be still. <laughs> no, I don't like that. That's not how you wired me, God. Be still. And know that I'm God. Know that I got this. You don't know how I got it. I got it. Okay, Lord. The only way that I can step into that and actually trust him and actually choose to be still is remembering what he's done. So go back to the story. Fast forward it. You can read the end of the story in 2 Chronicles 32 or 2 Kings 19. It's the same story, just two different versions of it. The Assyrians, they've besieged Jerusalem. King Hezekiah is the king at this point. If I'm king, I'm giving like a pitchfork to every six-year-old. You know, like we're going to defend this place with everything we've got, right? Like we're not going to let these guys conquer us. But King Hezekiah doesn't do that. What he says is, hey, let's pray. And if I'm under his leadership, I'm like, all right, come on, man. Like God sees it. Okay, Lord, come on. Now let's, let's get ready. King Hezekiah just says, no, we're going to be still and know. We're going to pray. That night, God sends one, not 185,000, not a million, one angel. And that one angel destroys 185,000 of the most fierce warriors the world has ever seen. One. Maybe you need one today. Maybe you need one word from God. Maybe you need one song to play. Maybe you need one angel to just show up. Maybe you need God to do one miracle in your life. What do you need today? Be still. And know that he is God. What do you need for him to do? What way do you need him to show up in your life today? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with another relationship. Maybe it's at your work. Maybe it's in your loneliness, your depression. Maybe it's in your addiction. I was talking to somebody after the first service and we were talking about addictions and it's so easy to think, well, I need to do all these things. And yes, go to AA and, and get accountability. You have to do all of those things. But only God can set you free. Only God can break bondage of sin. Only God. It's not in our ability to do it. Only God can. What do you need him to do today? Be still. Know that he is God. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this story. God, I can't imagine what the people of Israel were thinking and the fear and the anxiety that must have been inside the walls. 
in the midst of the hopelessness, in the midst of the darkness, your voice spoke. And you said, be still and know that you are God. You are that ever-present help. You are the much-muchness that we need. So, Father, I pray whatever we need today, you would show up. Father, for some of us, it's in a relationship. We need your healing. We need you to turn our heart or the other person's heart or both. We need you to do miracles that only you can do. Father, for some of us, it's in a relationship with our kids and we watch them struggle or we're struggling with them and God, we just need you to show up. We need you to turn their hearts to you. God, maybe we need healing. Maybe the doctors are at a loss. Maybe we're in the process of having treatment. And God, in the midst of all of it, Father, we just ask that you would bring complete healing in Jesus' name. Father, for those who are struggling with loneliness, mental health struggles, God, that may you just show up. May you speak words of life, and hope, and peace. Father, for those who are stuck in bondage of sin, may you break those bondage right now in Jesus' name. May you set them free right now in Jesus' name. What other things and other systems that we try to use to break that stuff isn't helping. God, we need you now in Jesus' name. We need you to come through. So God, as hard as it is for so many of us just to be still, we choose today to be still. And we ask you, exceedingly, abundantly, much, muchness. May your presence invade our lives and give us what we need today. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's time here at Seacoast. We're going to give you a chance to respond to whatever God may be saying to you. We do that through what we call response time. I remember 20 years ago when Pastor Greg said, hey, we're going to start this thing called response time. It's like my favorite time in the service. Like everything we do leads up to this moment. We say, ask yourself two questions. Number one, what's God saying to me? And number two, what am I going to do about it? And as you ask those, those two questions, you can respond in a variety of ways. We've, we've got some crosses around the auditorium and maybe, maybe you've been holding on to something. Maybe there's sin or, or worry or anxiety that you've been carrying around. You're like, man, this is too heavy. It's too much to carry on my own. Take it to the cross. Write it down on a piece of paper, pin it to the cross. I don't look at those things. That's, there's a prayer team that comes along and they pray over each one of those things every week. You can put your name or not. It doesn't matter. They're going to be praying for your situation. So if you don't want to carry that with you today, go leave it at the cross. Maybe you need somebody to pray for you. Maybe you need somebody like King Hezekiah who had the faith to pray. Maybe you're even like, I don't, I don't even believe God's going to do something here. Come forward. And allow somebody else who does have the faith for you in this moment to pray for you. Maybe this is why God brought you here today. 
that lets you know you're not alone. And there'll be people who will stand in the gap with you and for you. Maybe you have somebody in your life that is walking through some darkness or some hopelessness. Maybe you want to pray for them. There's some candles kind of all around the room. And maybe you want to go to light a candle. Just pray. Pray that God would show up. Pray that this much muchness of God's presence would, would reveal himself to them. And give them whatever they need in this moment. And then when you're ready, if you're a believer, let's take communion together. It's our opportunity to remember what Christ has done for us. If you're watching at home, grab some bread and some juice. We say the bread represents the body of Christ broken for you. The juice represents the blood of Christ shed for you. When you come and partake of it, remember what Christ has done for you. That yet while we're in our darkness, while we were lost and broken, Christ came and died for us so that we can experience eternal hope and peace and everlasting life through him. So as the band leads us in a, a couple of worship songs, don't feel like you've got to do anything. You can sit right where you are. It's totally fine. But I would encourage you to at least ask yourself those two questions. God, what are you saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? Let's respond together.